Welcome to the show, everybody. This week we have the cash flow doctor, aka Eric Neum. And this conversation, while he might be a tax professional, goes a very different direction into personal development, getting out of your own way at a level that I think most of us have never really thought about, uh, talking about going completely different directions, despite the fact that maybe internally or externally we're fighting that. And I think uh, you're going to really, really enjoy this conversation, especially if you've been questioning what you're doing, where you're going, or where you should be going or why to be going. So let's check out what Eric has to say. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of the Guyao Now Show. I am your host, Bob McIntosh. And as always, truly appreciate you taking the time to listen, watch, tune in, check this out. Uh, I make it a point to go find awesome people with awesome conversations. And the amazing thing, uh, as I said in the last episode, is that I get to keep meeting these really cool people through masterminds and things. And I'm like, oh man, like not only do I get to meet them there, I get to do it again when we have these shows. So today I have my good friend, Eric Neum, AKA the cash flow doctor with us. And um, Eric is just a genuine, amazing human being. I don't know what else to say about him that I like I that I think encapsulates everything among also being a badass entrepreneur and doing a lot of cool things. But we met through a couple of masterminds and got to know each other and actually done a couple other things together, like some other episodes of, of podcasts and, and things like that. But I was like, um, what's been fascinating, and we'll talk about this today, is sort of his journey that he's on currently of sort of transitioning. I don't want to say transitioning, but adding in. Um, something that is completely out of the norm. And I won't spoil the whole the story, but completely out of the norm of what he normally does, what he's known for, and what anyone would think of what he does from a, a tax and cash flow perspective is just to totally different. And um, what I think is going to be really cool about this conversation, and we'll find out, uh, hopefully, hopefully it is. If not, then you'll never hear this episode because I've deleted it and it's terrible and it never happened. But that's very, very unlikely. Um, no, but what I think is going to be very cool is just, hey, I think a lot of us, um, especially during COVID, have stopped for a second and said, what's going on in my life? What do I want? What motivates me? What excites me? Um, and and where do I want to go? And And I think a lot of times the direction that we think we want to go in or that our calling might be in is very different than where we currently are. And for some of us, it's very difficult to get out of our own way and say, that's where I need to be going. Um, I know even uh, I've had a number of conversations with people being like, wait, I thought you were in real estate. Now you're doing digital marketing. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I still do real estate. I still have a real estate business, um, but it's not my primary focus because I realized that actually digital marketing is where I have a lot more fun. It's more of my calling. It's what I'm actually really good at. So why not go that direction? And so even though it's different than where we're at, and, but I, I think his is an even crazier story. And so what I'm excited to hear from him about uh, and what I'm excited for each of you listening or watching is to say, if that's you, what, you know, what can you take away from this conversation in that, in that? And by the way, even if you're like, Hey, you know, I love what I'm doing. I don't want to change. Um, I want you to understand that when you're going a completely different direction, 
I think a lot of what will happen is, you know, we have to get out of our own way in so many ways. You might find that there's little things even within your business that you need to change direction on. Even if you love what you're doing, that you need to change direction on to, to go. So what can you pull from this as well? So I know that was a very long intro. I usually not try not to do so long intros, but I'm excited for this episode. When we started saying, hey, like, is this where we're going to go with it? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I just, I felt it. So Eric, thank you so much for being here, man. I'm truly excited that you're here. And as always, I love you, man. So thank you for being here. Man, Bob, I don't know how I could... That's probably one of the best intros. And the, and to be honest, like one of the most succinct ways of, of putting together this journey of life that we're all on. So thank you. I received your compliment. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what I'd love for you to do, because I don't know if anyone, I, I have no idea who knows who you are or don't, but just give us a little bit of background about you know, who you are, what you've done, and maybe where you're going, and then we're going to dive in. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to have some questions as we go along. So I'm excited. Of course, of course, man, that's such a big story or big question. Because <laughs> all of us have gone through like this beautiful journey of life and to try to compress it within a 20, 30 minute, 40 minute podcast is probably not going to do it justice, but I'll do my best. So my parents came over from the Vietnam War as refugees in 75 and I was born in Philly. So I'm an East Coaster first generation Vietnamese, yeah, <clears throat> East, Coast. East Coast. So if, if people are trying to hear the accent, it's probably because when I say water, as opposed to water, like I say water. So it really throws people off. They think I'm crazy. That's <laughs> just because I'm from Jersey. Um, grew up in South Jersey. And for the longest time that the ideal model of success as a Vietnamese American was to be a doctor, dentist, attorney, or an engineer. And that wasn't like part of my story. Like I was always a scrappy entrepreneurial kid and entrepreneurship for me, I've been an entrepreneur, I'm 41 now. I've been an entrepreneur since probably like young teenage ages. It's mostly because like many of us, we're trying to scratch an itch. We're trying to solve a problem. And for, for like most young folks, um, it usually starts off because you have a hobby or something that you want to do. And it's, 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 it's a bit more expensive than you could afford. And, you know, <laughs> my parents are refugees. They didn't make much. So not like we had an allowance. So we always had to try to find ways to make money. So I remember in like in elementary school, kids were getting into trading cards and I thought that was really cool. And I was like, shoot, how can I get into trading cards too? Cause it's expensive. So I would do landscaping for my neighbors and mow lawns. And I remember like when it would snow and I live in Southern California now, so there's no like phenomenon of snow, but when it would <laughs> snow, we would, all we'd know is we'd suit up and we'd spend like the next two days walking around the neighborhood, knocking on doors, trying to collect 20 bucks a house and shovel out their driveways. And that's how we made money. And as, as I got older and as I got into more expensive hobbies like paintball and, and the cars, it, it, I started becoming uh, more of an entrepreneur. And many entrepreneurs, they realize like where your opportunity lies is, is finding things at a great value fixing up a little bit and reselling at a large profit, much like real estate, right? You find like a real estate piece of property. That's a fixer upper. You fix it up and then you flip it and make your profit. So for me at the time in high school, I was into a sport called paintball, which is even back then was ridiculously expensive. You'd spend like a hundred bucks a weekend. And for a high schooler in the nineties, a hundred bucks was a ton of money. Yeah. Right. So what I would do is, is there was this, this is when eBay first came out and, you know, little, little did I know I became one of the first eBay power sellers. This was back in 97. There was this paintball like forum called Warpig and people would be selling their old equipment. And for me, like I could never afford a brand new because it was really expensive. 
But I also realized that there's a lot of folks that are selling equipment just to get rid of it, not realizing what it's worth or not really caring because they already had the new stuff with them. So I'd buy the stuff up cheap. I would clean it all up. I'd break up these collections or, or, or these, these packages and I'd resell it on eBay. And that's how I made my money. And um, I remember I had a reputation on this internet forum as the kid who bought everybody's stuff. And it eventually mm -hmm. became a negative connotation because people were perceiving me as taking away all these good deals for the other folks that want to get into the sport. And I was just like a scalper. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to a point where I needed more inventory and I ended up um, trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to get inventory from? I had, I was 17 years old with a wholesale account to, I think it was like, National Paintball Supply, they're out of Central Jersey, NPS, and I think they're still around. And uh, everyone was selling the same stuff. And so I was like, I want to be a little bit different. So I found this company overseas called Planet Paintball in London. I imported a bunch of barrels. I, I had like 1600 bucks saved up. Import a bunch of barrels, started selling on eBay, not realizing that there's customs that came in. So a month later, I had this FedEx bill for customs, for FedEx customs for like 800 bucks. And needless to say, as a central, I saw the bill, pretended it never existed, tore it up, and <laughs> if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. So that was my first foray into like entrepreneurship. And then um, I got in the cars when I was in college. I, I love cars so much that when uh, when I was in college, these campus centers, they were giving away like free t-shirts, free mugs and stuff. I signed up for these and turns out I got a credit card. And that led me down a path of creating a, a car-centric company called Hyper Technocraft, where we brought in, we were one of the largest distributors in the mid-Atlantic area, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, of body kits, rims, and turbos. And it was all from, again, this like, the scratching of the itch. And so, like, initially... Like Fast and Furious style. That, it, it, actually, Fast and Furious 1 came out in my third year of business, and that was one of my biggest years because it became really popular. Everybody wanted to be... The, the, the Fast and Furious Supra and put the graphics on the cars <laughs> and the wheels and stuff. And so I've, I've always had this journey of like becoming a scrappy entrepreneur. But every time I ever, I always got to a certain level of success, I always found myself capped. And I never really thought about that, right? So it's kind of like circle back to the core topic of getting out of your own way. I always kept getting a cap at this level of income and I could never really exceed that. And then at that time, I met my, my son's mother and uh, down in a, a cult retreat. Like, I was in a meditation cult. So that's another story for another day. Cause that's a big one. <laughs> hey, um, some of the best people have been in cults. I, I was part of a, a cult of sorts. So we're good. I love it. I love it. We're cult brothers then. But met my son's mom at this cult retreat, ended up moving up to Massachusetts. Um, my old business, I had fallen out with a business partner, didn't have a business agreement in place, ended up walking away from a million dollar a year business with like nothing other than my laptop, my computer, my vinyl cutter for cutting stickers and stuff like that, and some personal items. So that was a great lesson to be learned, right? Like, and that's just a part of this journey of life is everything that we come across. You have the option of either taking these failures, and I failed a lot. I've fallen on my face a ton of times. You either have the option of taking these failures as, as something that's personal, and it ends up being something that affects you for the rest of your life and really starts subconsciously dictating your decision-making process, or you could take these, these, these air quotes, I'll call it air quotes, because failure has a negative context. Um, take these failures as a learning lesson and move them forward. So I, I took it as a learning lesson and moved forward. Got into the, the health insurance business, and then the financial planning, and then most recently into the tax world. 
And so right now I run a, uh, a tax practice and I have for the last 10 years um, that focuses on strategic tax planning and strategic financial consulting as like a, a fractional CFO for um, 15 different companies right now. And we prepare, I would say on a, on a concierge basis, probably uh, about a hundred corporate tax returns um, as a business. And that's, that's what I've been doing for, these last couple of years. And, and most recently, what I've come to realize is, and as many of us do, right? You're good at a certain thing and it pays the bills, but there's a calling that comes from deep inside when you're, you start realizing that this isn't something that I want to die with, stating that this is what I spent my life doing. And what really reinforced it for me was there's a study called Regrets of the Dying. And Regrets of the Dying was done by this researcher. I think she's in New Zealand. And she was researching um, a thousand patients from hospice. They're within their last couple of weeks of, of living. They're terminal and they're about to die. And so she goes to each of these folks and says, hey, what is your number one regret in life? And the number one regret in life for me as a young person would always be, I wish I made more money. I wish I had the Lamborghini. I wish I had the big car. I wish I had the big house. Mm -hmm. I wish I went on. I wish I had these flashy vacations and X, Y, Z, right? Like these material related possessions, this stuff. And as I got older, you know, now I'm 41. As I got older, I started realizing that life really isn't comprised about with stuff. Um, you could have, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a red-blooded American man who loves Lamborghinis and fast cars and all that stuff. But you're not going to take it with you. So for the last couple of, of years, there's been this like internal calling for me to do something different, to work in this like different context, this healing, this spiritual context. Um, but at the same time too, I had this, this eternal struggle of wanting to revert back into comfort. Comfort meaning into what I was air quotes good in the world at with the accounting and tax business. And I finally got the respect of my parents. My parents finally, within the last two years, have finally said, "Hey, I know you're doing really well. We, you know, we res you know, respect what you've done." It's taken me 39 years to get my parents' respect in what I do because they wanted me to be a doctor, dentist, or attorney. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I want to make a jump into a, it's completely different, somewhat parallel related career path. And and now I'm moving out of this comfort zone. I'm moving out of this point of where my parents are have this respect for me. Um, because like for me, I've been a people pleaser for a long time. I've been like, I've always seek for my validation from my parents for a long time as, as many of us secretly do. I would say um, a lot of, a lot of people are in that same boat. A lot of us are right. And then so, and so now I'm moving into this, this new journey of life, still parallel running my business. Cause I got a great team. I got great employees and stuff like that. And I'm still mentoring and guiding clients, but creating this brand new journey of, of life in this, this healing aspect of being able to go in and, and help uh, a business owner or an individual through either breath work or plant medicine or even um, shamanic dance to be able to get motion and movement again and create these rituals and ceremony in our life that we've been missing for generations. So, I mean, I guess if you kind of like put a wrap around my entire life story, it's like this if you are out there and you're trying to struggle, if and you're struggling thinking, am I working and doing what I am destined to do? Or am I working and doing what I'm just doing to pay the bills? And if you should make this move, should you make this jump? If I could prove to be any testament as somebody that's reinvented my life multiple times, 
I've exited a number of businesses. I've, I've made a lot. I've lost it all many times. And I just started from scratch like three years ago after a divorce, as, as Bob knows, right? Like this multiple period of time or all these type periods of, of life of reinventing yourself. If you're, if you're sitting on the couch or in the car and you're, you're sitting wondering, am I doing what I'm destined to do? Am I just living in this, this life of comfort and, and stability? Um, but you know that you have a calling inside to do something else. I highly recommend trying to find little ways to make steps in that direction to move in where your sphere of genius is and where your passion lies. Granted, you still have to pay the bills. We still have responsibilities. I mean, I'm a single dad, right? So I'm, pragmatically, I still have to make a good income to pay the bills. He's going to be going to college or whatever soon. So pragmatically, you got to think about paying the bills. But at the same time, too, know that your identity, your life is fleeting. Um, life can exist or cease to exist in any moment like there could be a meteor it's 2020 there could be we've had so much happen this year we don't know man we don't i mean it's, it's if there was gonna be a year it would probably be now <laughs> yeah in 2020 right we could have a meteor come out of the sky and our impending doom coming to us and if you sit in that moment wondering i wish i did this with my life instead as your life is flashing between your before your eyes maybe it's time to start considering how to start moving in that direction because who knows what could happen you can get sick with COVID, regardless of what people believe people die of it right you can get hit by a bus you could uh you know be in an airplane and it gets crashed or something like that life is fleeing life is not guaranteed like this is the only life that we have to live in this, this context um and for me like reinventing myself failing so many times and realizing that like i haven't died from failure yet is probably the, the one lesson that I've really taken from this and giving me the, the hope and the, the encouragement and the courage to just keep forging forward. So let me ask you this, you know, you, you've changed a bunch of times, you know, between paintball and auto parts uh, to, you know, taxes to now a spiritual journey, uh, you know, those are all for the most part, very, very different things. Um, as you went through each of these changes, you know, is there fear? Has it receded as you've made more of these changes or is it still just as prevalent and you're just more adept at saying, okay, I know it's here, I can work through it. Like how to like, and, and if there is fear, what's going through your mind while you're happening? Like, like what, what questions, what naysayers, what negative thoughts, things like that. Cause I think a lot of people are probably going to resonate with hearing whatever has happened for you. If it has. Mm, man, Bob, that is a, that's probably the, the core root question that everyone should be asking themselves. And I, I'm feeling tingles as I said that, right? Because I know it's a core challenge that many of us have. And I want to be clear, like I work with on the tax and accounting side, I work with business owners that are worth anywhere between, I would say a couple million to, to 20 to $30 million um, of, of net worth. And regardless of where they stand financially, Many of them still have the same fears. Many of them still have the same anxieties. Many of them still have the same challenges. So it makes them different. What sets them apart to allow them to have what we perceive to be this level of success that we might perceive to be unattainable when the reality is they have, they are sharing the same exact human experience like we are. Mm -hmm. um, the reality of the, of, of the challenge that we have is Many of us have core stories and our core stories are normally related to wounds that we had in the past. 
traumas or challenges or or issues that we had experienced when we were kids. Like for me, I've I've had this bizarre conflict of a fear of failure and a fear of success all at the same time. The fear of success was I remember when I was a kid, I think I was like eight or nine, and I was sitting in the front um, the front of the house in the living room, and we saw this neighbor pull out the brand new Mercedes. And my dad, he looks across the street, again refugee came up from nowhere, sees this guy pulling the Mercedes, he's like, that guy got a Mercedes because he cheated people. Not knowing what this guy did. I mean, later we found out that the, you know, the guy was a hard worker, he was a pharmacist, and he went to school and all that stuff. But like, I've had that fear of success. By the way, like, I totally know, thought you were gonna say he actually did cheat people and like he knew all along. And, I was like, <laughs> and you're like, no, it's like, actually, he's like just, just a good hard worker. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that wasn't the plot twist I was expecting. <laughs> but like, I had that, that fear of, of success. That notion of if I became successful, the only way I could be successful is by cheating people. And then I had those stories too. My dad saying money doesn't grow on trees or pick up every penny that you find, the scarcity conversation. And then I also had a fear of failure. Failure uh, in the fact that if I didn't get good grades, like we had capital punishment. It, it doesn't fly anymore in today's society, but I still remember my dad with his, his belt with a big Texas buckle and ooh, ugh. <laughs> not the greatest experience when I was a kid, but like I had this fear of failure, this fear of like not being able to achieve. So I've had this like this conflicting spot of like being afraid of success and afraid of failure. And what that lets you live in now is you're in this mediocre middle, right? right? And so many of us may share a same core story. Some might not. Some might have had great childhoods, but might have had struggle in the past or seen parents not being able to, to make it as successful as they could and something might have been said or maybe a divorce or something like that. But many of us are living our lives with these, these wounds from childhood that we don't realize are dictating our decision-making processes. So to answer your question, I personally don't think that the, the notion of fear or the notion of failure or the notion of success will ever change for me in terms of it coming up. But now as an adult that's done the work to process it and done the work to acknowledge what's mm. there, it's given me the tools in my tool belt to see when it does come up, this fear of like success or this fear of failure or this desire to be complacent for me to consciously see it come up and say, Hey, what's up fear of success or what's up fear of failure. Good to see you again. Here's a beer. I don't need you right now. You're not going to serve me, but I know you're there. It's totally cool. I get it. This little, this little kid, like help, helping this little kid. Hey, I, I know you're not feeling great about it. I get it, but I'm going to continue moving forward. So I think the big challenge that many of us have is we all share the same core human story where we have these same core human challenges. I think the bigger variable, the bigger question is when these challenges do come up, how do we address it? How do we acknowledge it, right? Because we can't suppress our emotions. I've done that for years and it sucks. It doesn't work. But when it comes up, how do you acknowledge it, allow it to be processed, and then say, okay, now that we've completed the processing, let's move on and move forward with this. I think that's great. And I think that's something that a lot of folks don't do is they don't take the time to recognize that, yeah, like these are things that we're not going to get rid of. We can't get rid of it, but we can be aware of it. We can make the adjustments to say, okay, now that I know it's there, you know, I love that you said that, like, here, have a beer, like, have a beer, sit down. I got, I got work to do. <laughs> yes.
Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so so what about from like external influences? I mean, a lot of that's your internal language and you're talking to that, but you've also talked a lot about, you know, your parents and like, hey, it took you 39 years to get to the point where they had some respect. And now I would imagine that you're going into the spiritual journey. It's like, whoa, hang on a second. That, that's not in, in the box. Um, but, you know, and, and again, for any of you listening or watching, we all have external factors that are influencing us. It doesn't have to be parents. It could be friends. It could be family. It could be, you know, children. It could be anybody, right? So how are you handling or how have you handled um, getting out of your own way with the external factors that are pushing for you maybe not to do the things you've been doing? That's a really good question. And I think you and I have this big commonality too. Um, I've come to realize that, that you're the average of the five people that you keep closest to you. Um, if you hang around folks that they want to just, you know, watch football and drink a beer and, and, and what have you, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're probably going to live your life the same exact way. Uh, if you are trying to aspire for something greater, then perhaps I invite you to change your circle or maybe evolve your circle to bring us, bring along folks that are also evolving in their path, or they're at the level that you want to become. Because what ends up happening is we, we are crafted by our environments. When you're in an environment that is toxic or unsupportive, um, like many of us have had in the past, and I've had it as well, when you're in that type of environment, it tends to stifle your desire to continue. It tends to stifle mm -hmm. your desire to keep forging forward and, and go on this hard, lonely road. Because I'll be completely transparent. The, the road of an entrepreneur, the reality is, is it is a hard and lonely road. It takes a long time. There's no overnight success. You're not going to make a million dollars in your first hour of working. Like that's, that's just the nature of the beast, I quit. right? I'm done then. <laughs> yeah. This is it. It's over. So it's, it's really important to make sure that your internal environment, which is your subconscious and your emotions and how you process that, is, as, is fed as nicely and cultivated as cleanly as your external environment. Your external environment being your surroundings, like how you keep your surroundings, and also the people, the, the folks that you keep around yourself, right? So for me, what I found is, is not only that I spend the last couple of years working my internal dialogue, but also cultivating the folks that I have around me. And I've invested in masterminds, and Bob, I know you've invested in masterminds as well. It's a significant investment. And don't get me wrong, like some folks say, that's kind of shallow. You're paying for friends or you're paying for the, being in these communities. But I, I want to give a counterintuitive approach. When you look at investing in yourself, when you look at putting yourself in the right circles, if the right circles can propel you in the future in the direction you want to be headed to make you feel not only materially happy with levels of success and finance, but also feel happy inside what is the cost on that? What is the the investment that's needed to be able to do that? And so for me, you know, what I, I found, for me, it would almost become irrelevant what the cost is at that point in time. hundred percent, right? hundred percent. And that's, that's it. That's this conversation of like these resources of finances are relatively infinite. The universe will provide when you're ready for it. And now for me, what I found is investing in communities, investing in masterminds, building communities, or just bring the right people around me even treating like people out to dinner that what would normally not talk to me because I want to find a mentor. I want to find somebody to share a story with. 
Um, that's a tremendous tool that that I personally use. And I know Bob, you've been amazing at it too, because you're you're a consummate networker. You're just a very well connected individual, and it's it's important to have people that you can share your story, your journey with, but also hear their story in the journey, because it's easy for many of us to look on social media and see a picture and be like, man, this guy's living the perfect life, but not realizing yeah. you sit down and have a beer with the guy and realizing that he has the same struggles as you do, except he's having the same struggles with a $2 million problem instead of you and a $100,000 problem, right? And you look and say, man, you're sucking at this too. He's like, yeah, I'm sucking <laughs> at this just with you. <laughs> and then we can cheers each other and say, let's suck together. Uh, shoot, that, sound, that sounds awkward. Maybe we shouldn't say that. Okay, awesome. No, and I love this. And so something, you know, it's interesting. Um, just last night I was watching a video and uh, a guy was talking about this and he, he phrased it a little bit differently and I like the way he did it, which is like, hey, you know, most everyone shows up as either a rocket ship or driftwood. Um, driftwood is flown down the river, bumps along, not really caring about where it's going. It's just going with the flow, right? A rocket ship's got a purpose, a point. It's launching. Um, it may not be launched yet. Maybe getting prepped, right? We got to get the, you know, all the things that go along that. Make sure the pilots are in there. Make sure all the team's in place. Make sure that you got the spark going at the bottom and then, you know, light the fuel. Like, there's a million steps there, but a rocket ship tends to hang out with other rocket ships. And those who are part of rocket ships, working with them, on them, around them, tend to want to go with other rocket ships. And I think that's a, a so I, I love that analogy. And I think it's very similar to what you're talking about. I also had, it's interesting, I have a, a, a friend um, and for a long time, you know, he was just doing his thing. And I, I'll, I won't say he was driftwood necessarily, but, you know, he wasn't a rocket ship either. And recently I've, I've seen him start to be like, ask those questions. And I'm so excited for his journey um, and what he's up to. Cause I'm like, man, like you're asking questions, like this is cool. Um, Cause it's just a, a really good friend and I'm excited for wherever, wherever it takes him. I have no idea where it will, but I'm excited for that. So I love that. Um, so what I want to ask you next then is, okay, so, you know, you've cultivated these external and internal influences to create the opportunity for you to, to move forward and say, Hey, I'm going to do something completely different and maybe totally outside the norm. Um, so as you're making, you know, the transition that you're making now, or, you know, as you've made the transitions that you've made in the past, um, how do you know it's the right one? Mm, that's a great question. And I think the question of is this the right one is something that causes a lot of folks to freeze. Mm -hmm. Because you might not even know if it's the right one until you're maybe 10 steps deep into it. Right? So I think the, the question that we should be asking ourselves is what would it, what would it hurt if we tried it? And if we failed at it, or if it wasn't the wrong one, what's the worst that could happen? And remember that one, that's a really good question that had come up to me through therapy. I was seeing a therapist um, a year ago. And at the time, uh, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. And a lot of pain, the, the physical, verbal abuse and stuff like that, as well as like my desire to um, to get his approval and never getting his approval. And so for a while, like we weren't talking mm -hmm. and I would always find myself preventing myself from talking to my dad because I didn't want to address that conflict. And then, so my therapist, she asked me, well, Eric, why don't you give your dad a call? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. So like, then, and then she asked me this question, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and she just, she just said that and she just looked at me. 
And I was like, I don't know. She's like, well, is anybody going to die? Or is anybody get sick if you were to call your dad? And I was like, no. She's like, well, if, so what you're telling me is there's really no risk in creating that conversation. So if you're to parallel that, I think the challenge is at the end of the day, like in order for us to move in the direction we want to be moving in, it's going to be full of hard decisions. It's going to be full of, of, of conflict, conflict, probably more so internally than externally. But with that said, like when you're thinking about that, we no longer are in a society where we have to worry about saber tooth tigers and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, like going to attack us. If we make a bad decision on stepping out of the cave at the wrong time, like we don't really have many life or death decisions. And so to kind of like answer that question, instead of, is this the right thing? Instead, the question would be like, what's the worst that could happen if we were to try it? And if it works, amazing. If it doesn't work, at least you have another thing that you've checked off the list of. And I am an ADD guy with a list of like 50 things that I want to do, but I can't do them all. So I'm just going to check off one at a time. What's the worst that could happen if I tried it and it failed? I'll be able to go to the next one. I love that. I love that. So is there a question that you ask yourself or you have asked yourself that like, Hey, like to help you discover that next thing. Um, or like you said, if you have, if you're an ADD person, which I know a lot of entrepreneurs are right. Like most of us, like you said, we want to scratch that itch. And even if we scratch that itch one time, there might be a new itch that comes along along and we want to do that one too. So is there questions that you've asked yourself about figuring out what thing you're going to tackle next? Like, you know, and like you said, you have 50 things. How did you choose the one that you're going to go to right now as the thing you're going to try right for right now versus something else? Mm, that's a great question. I think for me, what had led me down this path of, of breath work and plant medicine, and I've been, I've been experimenting with both of these things for the last couple of years, but I remember distinctly when, when COVID hit, um, the first couple of days of COVID hit, I'm sitting on my couch saying, oh, this is like a, the great pause. That's what they call it, the great pause. Right. <laughs> and next thing I know, I was, I was back to work again, helping folks out the SBA, tax questions and everything. I was working harder in COVID than I was pre-COVID. And as I was going through that process, getting through the same steps of every, just like every other last tax season of getting close to burnout of exhaustion, um, because of the silence I had in COVID and the, the lack of the ability to go out to parties and the lack of the ability to go out to dance and the, to hang out with friends normally, that actually made me sit in silence more of myself and start contemplating what am I really doing? And so I don't really know if there's a methodology that I use, like, here's my three-step process to figure out exactly the right thing for you. I'm like, I don't have any of that. I want the workbook, man. Come on. (laughs) I don't have the workbook, the cheat sheet, the top 10, whatever. All I found is, is I've just started to become more trustful of my intuition. Um, And what I knew intuitively as I was moving through tax season through COVID was I'm great at what I do, but it's not what my calling is for. It's not what I'm destined to do. And there's nothing wrong with me still running that business. I got a great team that I delegate workouts and everything. But I started realizing that what my true calling is, is to to mentor, to guide, to teach. Um, And for me, what I've started realizing is, is I love mentoring, guiding, and teaching folks on things that I'm currently journeying with about. So my journey right now is with cacao and plant medicine and, and breath work and movement. 
And what I found is like, as I started going through the process of doing it on my own and seeing the dramatic changes in my life and just the way that I think and the way that I process, the more I started realizing I need to get this out to the world. Like I can't just hold it in for myself. Like I'm not, I, I would be selfish if I was to keep that secret inside of me. So my methodology doesn't really, isn't really the exact science outside of, I realized what I was passionate at and what I really enjoyed doing. And then I started realizing how do I share this with everybody else? How do I help other people that are going through the same struggles, the same challenges as me? Because again, we're all sharing the same exact collective human experience. We all have very similar struggles. Many of us might be dealing with scarcity conversations. Many of us might be dealing with right. trying to get validation from others or looking on social media for validation or trying to get validation from our parents or worthiness questions or am I worthy of this? Like we're all sharing these same experiences. And I'm like, okay, if, if I've been able to, 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 to move through these using these techniques, like I, I should, you know, for me, it would be wrong if I didn't share it to the world. So that's just how I did it. I started by doing it on my own. I got a taste of it and realized how much I loved it. And I said, okay, now how do I bring this to everybody else? So it's like, I think that's kind of like everything else as an entrepreneur. You have an itch that you're scratching. You're, you, you have a problem. I had a personal problem. My personal problem was like, I wasn't happy with life. I wasn't happy with what I um, was doing. And I, I realized that there's so many more layers of my personality to appeal. That was my itch. So I started okay. scratching it by using breath work, plant medicine, everything. And then I was like, oh, okay, I scratched my itch. If I had this problem, other people have this problem. So that's where I'm at right now. So that's kind of like my that's methodology. Perfect. That's perfect. No, 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 I, I love it. And I, and look, I think in a lot of this, there is no definitive answers. All we can say is, what was your process? What did you do? Um, and I was just saying this phrase today, um, earlier with someone else, I was like, it's like a coat. Try it on, fits, think about it. If it doesn't fit, okay, then on to the next thing. That's a great analogy. Um, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, or, and sometimes I say with pair of pants, depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always wear pants, so I'll use a coat one. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just want to roll around with no pants. It's just, it's just a good feeling. But That's exactly what I'm doing right now. <laughs> hey, that, that, we're, all, we're all doing that. We're all doing that. Like, let's be real. Zoom, Zoom knows what's going on here. <laughs> um, so let, let me ask you this. What, you, what was your, you know, I guess what was your, your, either your process or how did you check in with yourself? I mean, was it more of just like, hey, because one of the things that I, I keep hearing that you, you're saying as we go through this is at different points in time, you've checked in with what's going on and decided that whatever you saw at that check-in point was not was not what you wanted or were, was not in the direction you wanted to go or you knew you could be doing better or more or whatever. There was these check-ins. So like, do you make time to check in with yourself on a regular basis? Do you have, like, is it, is it poignant or is it more of just a gut feeling like something's not right and I need to go figure that out? That's a really good question. In this, in this life, especially this overstimulated life that many of us have, we don't really give ourselves the time to check in with ourselves. Um, I mean, if I look at my calendar, I've booked it solid. Like I time block out, like I'm a, a living dab of my calendar. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard unless you pre-schedule time in or allocate time for yourself to actually give yourself that time. And so for me, I have my own spiritual practice, right? Where I meditate in the beginning of the day when I wake up for five, 10 minutes and before I go to sleep, five, 10 minutes. But every couple of days I have, I have a scheduled feeler. And the feeler is a, a call that I have with a friend um, at least twice a week where I hop on the phone. 
And all we do is we dive into how we're feeling in our emotional body, whether it's tightness in the abdomen from anxiety or pain in the shoulder or something like that. And what's been really interesting about that is by giving ourselves the time to, to get in touch with how we actually feel, things actually start processing a little bit smoother. Because in this life, we tend to go on a rapid go, 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 go pace, where if we feel a pain or we feel that, that anxiousness or anxiety or that nausea from like this, this emotional reaction, we tend to just kind of like suppress it because it doesn't fall in line with our busy schedule. And then until you take the time to check in with yourself, like, like I try to do as, as often as I can twice a week, it's given me the ability to become more sensitive to my intuition. Intuition sounds like a woo-woo spiritual world, word, but reality is the way that our bodies process is your brain is your logical core, and then your body is your emotional core. Emotions really are just a chemical reaction that's happening from your brain into your body. And then what typically ends up happening is if you don't allow the emotion to fully process, whether it be anger or sadness or, or loss, or even joy or happiness, when you don't allow that to get processed, it gets locked into your body somewhere. And sometimes it ends up becoming inflammation or illness or chronic pain or what have you. Mm -hmm. And so by giving yourself the time, you know, and it doesn't have to be long, five or 10 minutes to just like feel into your body and be like, huh, that's interesting. I've never noticed that before. And pause to be able to do that. Then you actually start processing, you become more sensitive to your gut check, your intuition, and then you can start making better decisions. I love that. I love that. So on this check-in, you know, was this someone else that was along the same path? Are they on a totally different path? Like if someone was saying, okay, I want to create this check-in for myself on a, uh, who, who should I choose? How, how do I, how do I find the right person that's going to, that's going to push me and not let me get away with things, but at the same time, you know, be understanding of wherever I'm going on. Mm, that's a great question. I think it's, it really starts with having a, a core group of people around you. So whether it's your, your coming back to the, your connections, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Your connections. Cause it's, especially for guys, I think for women, it's a little bit different. And I, you know, I mentor and guide a lot of women and, and women are different because they're able to open up emotionally with one another relatively quickly. They have that, they have that magical ability that many of us men don't. And the reason that many of us men don't have the ability to open up emotionally quickly is because we've been told from a young age, that showing emotion is not manly. You should suck it up, cowboy up. You might it's have weakness. heard of it. it's 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 emotions are shown as a sign of weakness in modern society, which I think is 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 stifling the growth of many young men and many grown men, to be honest. And so, by having the right core group of people around you and being able to be vulnerable with them and open up about your your stories or your challenges, is probably the best way to find the right people to have a feeler with where you can sit, you know, eye to eye and just have a conversation of how you feel. Right. Folk, mm. Now, to be honest, like folks that think that emotions are girly and stuff like that, they're actually kind of weak emotionally and they feel threatened by the notion of like feeling into your body. Where looking at another man eye to eye is seen as, as, as gay or less than masculine, which I think is a shame. There's, there's something so powerful and beautiful about being able to stare in another man's eyes and say, dude, this is how I feel right now. This is the struggles and challenges that I'm facing right now. I think there's something inherently courageous and brave about doing that. But by having the right connections of maybe community or friends around you that you can open up with and be vulnerable with, 
for me has been instrumental in my growth since, I mean, you know, you've known me, Bob, for the last five years, five, six years. In the last three, um, outside of, uh, out of divorce, like my growth has, has skyrocketed dramatically just personally because Absolutely of the ability has. to be able to open up. And we've had, we've had a lot of hard conversations in the past, right? And the ability to have that shared story, to be able to talk about and get up your shoulders, not to vent and not to get like the validation or the sympathy of others. Cause there's, you know, validation, um, talk about vulnerability for sympathy is one thing. That's something that I don't believe in trying to get sympathy, becoming a victim complex is something that's not going to help you grow, but to be able to talk about your challenges to get support and to get accountability and to get, uh, you know, a compassionate ear to listen to, I think is so inherently powerful. Um, as a tool for, for many of us men that many of us men may not be aware of and humans in general, both men and women. I love it. I love it. And do you think it's easier for, you know, or, or beneficial maybe even for, you know, a guy to seek out another guy to do this with versus seeking out a, a female or, or do you think it not, does it not matter from your perspective? Yeah, it's a good question for, for me, what I've, what I've come to found, uh, find just because of my childhood, like I resonate a lot more with women than with guys. Um, so a lot more women tend to come to me to, to share their challenges and vice versa. To be honest, for, for most men, when you're talking to women, we tend to turn on our band switch. Um, and the challenge with that is it filters how we have conversations. And that's why there's specifically, there's power in men's group and there's specifically power in, in groups of just women, right? So I feel personally, if you haven't had the ability to really dive in emotionally or within your core, first start with talking to somebody of the same gender that you are, because it will turn off that filter of, I need to impress this person or turn off that animalistic core of, is she, does, maybe she likes me. Is she attracted to me? If I become vulnerable, will she be attracted to me? And that changes the dynamics of that conversation. So to at least to start, I would highly recommend to find somebody that number one is not related to you, right? I think that is has, important. Yeah, yeah. That has, that's very important because if they're related to you, they, they, know a bit, they, a bit, they know a little bit too much about you and they know about your weaknesses and vulnerabilities and everything. Find somebody that you can relate with um, of the same gender and start with that. I love it. I love it. Oh, dude, I feel like this conversation could probably go to like another hour uh, if we wanted it to. Um, and actually a very different direction than I was anticipating when we started it. But I think this has been super, super helpful. And I know, like I've done a lot of this, you know, personal development work myself, and, and I know how important it is. But I will also I truly enjoy having conversations with people who've done the same because it's fascinating to see how it is. And it's also fascinating to see what that looks like to the outside world, right? Like I, I see, um, I see things so much differently now from, from the way that I used to even. And I think it's, it's cool to, uh, bring that point of view and that perspective to as many people as possible, because, you know, the, the idea of the show, get out of your own ways, you know, initially kind of started more in the business sense. But as I started diving in deeper, I realized, man, there's so many other places that we need to do this in our life personally, spiritually, emotionally, business wise, all of those. So I truly appreciate you taking the time to share with us, man. I, I thank you so much. Absolutely, Bob. Anytime. What I've, what I've come to find is your business life, your professional life is just a facet of who you are as a human. Mm -hmm. and until we, we cure or heal the, the, the little, the inner child that we have inside until we're able to fix that, not necessarily fix it, but at least have the conversation or the dialogue to, to be compassionate and to process the emotions of the past until we're able to do that. Like, 
we'll always struggle in our business, we'll always struggle professionally. The moment we're able to have that hard conversation inside and, and process those emotions and those challenges, once you're able to do that, everything else in life is going to seem like you're pressing the easy button from Staples. Right. <laughs> Boop. Yeah. I love it. Cool. So uh, if people want to connect with you, Eric, where can they do it? So they could pop onto my Instagram is probably one of the, the easiest ways to get in touch with me. My Instagram is at the cash flow doctor all spelled out. Or if they want to just pop into my website and just see what I'm doing professionally, um, my website is the cash Perfect. I love it. So guys go and, and guys and ladies, I use the guy term guys a lot. I realize that I'm trying to get better without saying people or y'all or I don't know. I'm in Texas. So I, I gotta, I gotta throw a yo. In here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So go check, go check out Eric, follow him for sure. He's, he's a, uh, a great, great man. And like I said, I've known him for a number of years and I'm so honored that he was able to make the, this work. And by the way, we were supposed to talk a little earlier this week and he had to be evacuated from a fire and he still made time for me later this week. So truly appreciate you being, being flexible and, and uh, given the situation and what was happening in your life. Of course. Anytime, my friend, anything for you. I love it. I love it. So everyone, thank you for being on. Thank you for watching, listening, whatever you're doing. As always, please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps it get out to more people. And that's the whole point. Um, I love doing this and I have a lot of fun and I'd probably do it whether no one did or not. But if we can help some more folks along their journey doing the same thing, then I want to make sure we can do that. And your subscription rating and review of this show does that for us. So make sure you guys do that. You can also check out the show notes on the site. Go check that out as well. And otherwise, we'll see you on another great episode next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy. This podcast is sponsored by Three Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, Three Degrees Consulting is your go-to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G-O, the number three, D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now.